Hey, this is Kirnagraj from the Sparking Entrepreneur Show, and today we have Nikhil Paul with us. Nikhil is a leadership team coach who founded We Are Human, V W E R Human, to help senior executives and teams strengthen their focus, culture, and execution through engaging workshops and coaching programs, including his previous career of running an employee engagement SaaS company. Nikhil has. a decade of experience in building team and problem solving employees moral issues with clients like walmart airbnb and salesforce and is a current member of hubspot fellow faculty with that said nikhil has a lot more to share so let's let nikhil speak now nikhil welcome to the show hi kiran uh, thanks for the intro by the way the company is called we are human and r yeah. in letter r okay let's yeah. begin with it nikhil tell us about your journey give us an insight about what led you to coaching today yeah it's a good question you know i my background is in engineering so i went to college for electrical engineering as a lot of south asian kids are told to do by their parents and then i worked for engineering for a bit but at the same time i got bit by the entrepreneurial bug right a lot of people are starting companies startups facebook and the explosion of uh, social media Daily, that was I wanted to get in on that. So within two years after working in the uh, engineering world, I quit my job. I created my own. My first investor deck was to my parents to convince them to let me start my company and give up this high-paying job. And the moment my dad agreed, then I was like, okay, I think I can convince more people now because my dad is the hardest person to convince. Uh-huh. Quit your job. So and that's what I did. So we built what started out in the education field, but then it pivoted into the employee engagement field. But we built employee engagement survey tool, and it was a SaaS product, and we did that for a bunch of years. We built it out of New York City, and we raised some money, had some good big clients all over the world, and it was a great journey. But ultimately, we just weren't able to hit product market fit in the way we wanted to. And like all things, they had to come to an end if you don't find a sustainable engine of growth. But I learned a lot. I learned a lot about how to start a business, how to build a business, how to work with people. And after that, I worked in tech for a little bit, CTO at another startup, and then also as a product manager. And then I hit a turning point where I was like, okay, I want to do something again, entrepreneurial, but this time I want to do something that's more based on my strengths and my passions. So I did a whole first principles approach to my life. So I looked at the at the time I looked at my past ten uh, years of like work experience and all of that, and I said, okay, what am I really good at? What am I passionate about? What are things that I do that people will pay me money for? And I basically just broke it down to things like I was like, I'm very good at motivating people. I'm very good at understanding group dynamics. If you put me in a room, I can instantly tell if there's tension in the room. And so I just broke it down and looked at it, and I said, okay, what can I do? And one of the ideas that popped up was facilitation and training. And I like reading those kind of things, but I've also seen that sometimes trainers and facilitators are boring. So I was like, I have a lot of energy. I come from a, a Bollywood dance background, so uh, I'm pretty used to getting people on the dance floor and getting people pumped up. And I even taught dance as during my 20s and before. So I felt confident. Okay, I think I know how to get people to a higher energy state. And so I started doing workshops and training. And in fact, I even throw in dance in my earliest versions of my product because I gave myself an entire year to just test and try things. I tried everything. anything to get people excited and to bring about change and so i used mindfulness meditation i used dance i used uh, a lot of reflections and theories but what i ultimately realized was that a workshop or any team building activity that i did it you need to do more than once it has to be ongoing and consistent it has to be recurring and so that's when i discovered the world of team coaching and 
to me, team coaching really hit all my value set and my skill set. Meaning, on one hand, I know what the pressure is to help run a business. So I understand what they're thinking about. But on the other hand, I'm interested in changing their minds, changing their behaviors, changing their processes. And that doesn't happen with just one workshop or one conversation. And so team coaching was my foray into, okay, how do I get organizations and a group of people or teams at the top to really chase after the moonshot goals and actually get them, right? Or to stop the office politics and stop fighting each other. That takes time and you have to work with human beings. And I like that part. A lot of people don't like it, but I enjoy a group of people who are trying to, there's some sort of tension or elephant in the room. I like helping unpack that and helping them become friends and enjoy working together so they can go after the big goals. So yeah, so that was my foray into what I do. I do coaching, team coaching, and I also do group training. So I also train leaders on how to run high-performance organizations and teams and how to become effective leaders themselves. Of course. And the wonderful work that you do, there are so many success stories that you might have created along the way. If there is anyone, any one team that is on the top of the mind or any client experience that is on the top of the mind, please give us an insight. Yeah, there's so many, right? How do I say it? Okay. So sometimes I'll work with people of very impressive backgrounds, right? Sometimes I'll work with like CTOs of these big multi-million dollar companies. And it's very overwhelming when you think about it and you jump into this team and they're all hype, very high flashy executives with a lot of power, a lot of people under them. And they have a lot of jargon too, right? So especially when you're working with the people of a certain industry, there's a lot of technical jargon. So I remember this once when I was with the CEO and a CFO of a very big, uh, it was a big kind of financial company and they were throwing a lot of jargon when they were trying to describe their problem with, between each other. So the CEO, CEO and the CFO were having some beef. And so they kept saying, well, you don't do this and this. And the other person was saying like, I need this and this. And if you just saw that conversation at surface level, you'd be overwhelmed, right? But if you pay attention and just zone in, you can hear what's not being said, the subtext. And that was what I understood. So I could push through the kind of the jargon and the technical terms and all the big things that they're saying, the strategies and the acronyms. And finally, I, the, after they talked, and they talked their years off, all these big executives like to talk their, our years off. But after they finished talking for 15, 20 minutes, I said, so if I understand correctly, what you're saying is that this person, your CEO, doesn't validate or make or say congratulations when you do good things in the company. Is that correct? And this person just literally, this person was talking for 20 minutes nonstop and saying all this technical stuff. He just stopped and says, yeah, that's it. That's my problem. My problem is that she doesn't give me thanks. And I was like, exactly. So to me, that's a moment that perfectly encapsulates kind of the work I do, which is that a lot of times these teams are so caught up in their own mayhem of their own doing. But you just sometimes need to sit with them and sift through all the cloud and all the things that, uh, that they're saying and try to focus on the root emotion. If you understand the root motivation that people are of what both people parties want, then you can immediately declutter and get to the problem and solve that problem. And once you do that, then the structural and the technical things can be built around that. To me, that's a perfect example of the kind of work I do, which is get past the technical, get to the emotional root, and then try to problem solve from there. Yes, yes, of course. What a wonderful example. We can relate to that. And uh, thank you so much for getting us, giving us more ideas on how to resolve conflicts, even when we don't know the jargon. About the emotional stuff, okay? We as humans are emotional and social creatures, so we are going to need someone else's help, while we will have to help somebody else, right? So what are ways yeah. of, as a leader, getting the things done 
while being compassionate and keeping the person accountable as well. Yeah, there's a lot of frameworks on like how to motivate people. I think Daniel Pink has a whole thing on autonomy, the three parts of uh, people need for motivating their employees. It's autonomy, competence, and growth, I believe is the third part. I don't know, autonomy, growth, and belonging. So you want to, and that's for the individual, right? So if you're trying to motivate your individual employee, you want to focus on, okay, do I give them the time and space to do the work on their own? Do they feel like they are the king of their field, right? Their own domain. So that's the first thing. You want to give people time and space to figure out the problems and take ownership over their own issue, not micromanaging. So that's autonomy. Second is belonging. Do you make your people feel like they're part of something bigger, like a tribe? Do they feel like they have their people, right? Ever since we've been in school, the thing we loved the most was our school friends, right? Like people we banded together with because the moment you find your tribe or your gang, then you feel secure. And that's a very evolutionary need. We need to have our tribe. Without a tribe, we feel very uh, discombobulated. We need to find our people. So your job as a leader is to make sure each of your employees has that group, whether it's your team or a couple of friends, make them feel included and make them feel like they belong. Okay, That's the second thing. And then the third thing is, are they growing? If the person, figure out what that person's goals and motivations are, because each person is different. Some people might want more money and power. Some people might want more to learn more things. Some people might want more respect. Whatever it is, you want to help people grow in the direction they want to grow. Okay. And once you understand their core motivations and then help them grow, now you've got, them. now you've got them really in for the long run. And so to me, those are the three components you have to think about when you're trying to bring each of your individual employees on board. Autonomy, belonging, and growth. Are they doing all three? Then you've got them. Wow. ABG. Yeah. Hi, ABG. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. My next question to you is about building culture. Give us some insight on building a strong culture where everything is taken care of. Everybody feels the part of the tribe and everybody's focused on the bigger picture. Yeah, that's a great question. So what I told you before was the individual employee. Now, if you zoom out and you're talking about your team, right? So let's say you have a team of five people. And by the way, what I'm going to tell you now applies whether you are running a small little Daba or five people team or you're running like a big, you're the CEO of Apple. Okay, mm. it doesn't matter. The laws of human dynamics are the same for everybody. Okay. It's just the numbers are different. That's all it is. So there's, it's a three-part framework. When you're trying to get a group of people and you're trying to call them a team, you can't just call them a team. You have to give them what I call a, if you watch the Avengers, Thanos is the supervillain. And so the basic storyline is that the Avengers kind of squabble and fight and kick. So they always are. But when the, this person comes in the scene, they band together. And that's it. They draw this in all these superhero movies, right? That's when the team comes together. That's based on actual organizational science. Because you need a superordinate goal. You need what is called a big, what I call a big and hairy challenge, right? A big, urgent, hairy challenge. And you need something, a problem that's so big that can only be fixed if the team comes together to, and takes on that problem. And so that's the first part of every team's culture. Find a hairy or this big challenge that will force your team members to say, wow, this is, if we get to this, problem or if we take down this goal, it'll be amazing. It'll be impactful. But at the same time, if we don't do it, it's scary. We could be in very dire straits. So find your big goal, audacious goal and rally the team around that. So that's the first part. Find a purpose that's very motivating and also very clear. It should be very clear. Thanos is one person you've got to take down. It's very clear. It shouldn't be multiple people here and there. Go for the big goal. So that's the first part. 
The second part is, all right, now that we know what the promised land looks like, how should we act together to get there? So that is what we call the culture aspect. So in every team, you want to create a culture coverage, which is to say, okay, what are the top things we're not doing that well at or that we're doing really good that we want to focus? Because you need to have a code of conduct, right? Like with any group of people, you need certain sort of norms and rules to abide by. Because when you say these are the norms and rules that matter to us, what that becomes is that becomes your core culture and your tradition. So for example, if in your team, you guys are all remote and you're working and you're startup, maybe the one thing you can you notice is that nobody responds to emails. And that's really tough. Like it, for whatever reason, then projects start slacking, everyone starts, uh, they're delayed. So one of the rules you could say from now on, every email requires a response in 24 hours. So it could be something that tactical or it could be something more like that says, okay, if someone says an idea in a meeting, don't shout them out. Give them five minutes to share the idea, right? Be curious about if someone gives an idea. So whatever the big kind of frictions in the team of try to find the top three to five things you want to work on and commit to that and say from now on this is how we're going to treat each other these are our core values be curious with new ideas follow up when someone sends an email whatever it is right and then that becomes your core commitment to each other that's what you need a commitment to the way you all work together so that's the second part then the third part is okay now that we know where we're going now that we know how we're going to work together to get there now what do we actually do and this is where the third part where most teams drop the ball, so to speak. You need to have a strong execution plan. And it's this stuff is not rocket science, but this is the kind of stuff that teams get into trouble. Because the moment you leave a meeting, think about the time you leave a meeting. Whenever you leave a meeting, a lot of times you might be saying, hey, what did we decide on? Who was in charge of it again? Did we say when we have to give back? Those basic things we forget to follow up on. So with every goal or priority, there should be a clear understanding, okay, Who's in charge? Who's going to be the owner? How much effort are we going to put into this by everyone in the team, right? And then what are we expecting as success, right? It's very important that we know what do we expect to come out of this thing that we're committing to as a team. And then the last part is how often should we get an update? So it's very small things, but if you put the team through the paces and get them to go through this and sharpen, it's like any, if you watch a uh, football team, it's a play. You have to practice that play, that strategy of multiple times of passing the ball back and forth in that exact way. Same way teams have to practice how to execute on their goals. So that's the three things I always tell teams to work on. Purpose, culture, execution. Purpose, culture, and execution. Wow. And what are some keynotes that you speak on? Give us some information about your keynotes. What are the usual topics? So keynotes I speak on, oh man, there's a lot. I, so one of the things like, so let's go back to the execution thing. One of the things I love talking about is creating the, crafting the art of a, what I call a Goldilocks challenge. Okay, so you remember Goldilocks is that fairy tale where she comes in and she eats the soup, the porridge. And the porridge is one is too hot, one is too cold, but then she finds the one that's right temperature. Similarly, a team, the leader's job, one of the things I always tell teams to do, and the leader especially, is to craft a perfect Goldilocks challenge. Find a challenge. That's hard. That's hard enough that the team has to work together, but not too hard that it's impossible and it'll take more than six months, right? It should be something that's short-term, but at the same time, it should also be audacious. It should be doable, but it should also be audacious. It should be, each person should have an individual role. Also, everybody should work together as well. So it's a balance, right? So that's why I call it a Goldilocks challenge. And so by balancing it and creating that perfect challenge where if you make it hard enough, but also easy enough for people to do to see progress. And if you make it where individuals get a role and also the team has to work together, 
if you create that perfect balance, it creates a state of flow for the team. And that's awesome. And you've seen it. Again, the best analogy is soccer teams or like sports, right? Like when a team is in like passing mode and they're in state of flow, and you've seen it. We've all been on teams where it felt so awesome. Like even though the pressure, the deadline was very, uh, just right around the corner and it was a lot of stakes and all of that. Somehow the team got together and we just made things happen. And that's a beautiful experience. I think everyone should go through that experience of working in tandem with your team in a state of flow. And a lot of that is dependent on crafting the perfect Goldilocks challenge. The right amount of hard and the right amount of easy, the right amount of individual and the right amount of team to put it together and create a perfect fun experience for everyone. Wow. Oftentimes I do not go back and listen to the cast once again because I get the gist of what. Yeah. But this time I have to go back and listen. Light bulbs going on. That's good. That's good. Now, please let us know about the best ways people can reach out to you. So is it your website? Is it your email? Give us an insight. Yeah, look, you can definitely go on my website and I would suggest if you like some of the stuff I do, what I also do is you can follow me on LinkedIn because I'm part of the LinkedIn Creator Accelerator and I'm an alumni of the LinkedIn Creator Accelerator and throw up a lot of content on inspirational teams and stories and frameworks because leadership sometimes can get a little dry and boring. So I try to connect it to pop culture, like I was saying about the Thanos thing. And I try to connect it to history. Or I try to connect it to real life stories. So if you're really interested in that, follow me or connect with me on LinkedIn and also sign up for my newsletter on We Are Human on my website, wearehuman.co. So W-E-R-H-U-M-A-N.co. You can follow me in either of the places. Yes, we are uh, our letter dot C-O. So yes. LinkedIn, final question for the day. Give us some action steps we should do after listening to this conversation. What to do? Yeah, what to do. Okay. I would say the biggest thing, there's two things we need in life to be successful. This is my personal philosophy. If you want to be successful in your career, there's just two things. One is you need to have passion. What are you passionate about, right? Or what are you curious about? So wherever you are in your stage, right? This is a good way to think about it. Whether you're trying to figure out how to get this team to work on this goal. Remember what we talked about motivation. Find out what will motivate your team or the employee you're working with. Or if it's just about you, find out what motivates you. And if you don't know what motivates you, the other part is find out what you're curious about, right? Mm -hmm. Curiosity and motivation is a great way to head towards passion. What Think about what are the things that you can spend hours doing, even if no one paid you to do it. So passion is the first thing. Why is passion important? Because if you're passionate about something, then you'll take chances. Then you'll be courageous. Then you'll be bold. And Honestly, I think a lot of things in life goes to the bold. People who take chances, it's hard because most often you'll fail, but every now and then you'll succeed. So the only way to keep constantly taking those chances is to be passionate about what you're doing. So try to figure out what your big goal is and why it matters to you and have clarity on that and be inspired by that. So whether that's you or whether it's you and the team, it doesn't matter. Think about what motivates people and what makes them passionate. So that's the first part. Second part is have balance. So this is the other part I think a lot of people sometimes go out of bounds with, right? Like sometimes we work so hard, we work 12, 13, 14 hours. And I get it, as entrepreneurs, we need to work long hours. But the problem is that's not sustainable. Human beings need everything. You need to have sleep, you need to have exercise, you need to eat well, you need to hang out with your friends. If you have things in balance, what that allows you to do is to become consistent. This is the second rule of success in life. Most often people are not consistent. Why is consistency important? Because if you're consistent in what you do, then other people can trust you. And if people trust you, then they'll say, hey, this is the person you should work with. This is somebody you should always count on, right? And the only way to be consistent is to have balance in your life. You need to have balance. 
So in everything you're doing, right, whether it's sales calls, prod, coding, whatever it is that you're doing, try to create structure where you do the right amount of work every just 1% better, right? And make sure everything else is in balance. And if you keep doing this day after day, you're unstoppable. You'll be unstoppable. So those are the two things I always say. Try to find what you're passionate about. And second, try to figure out how to get balance in your life. How can I be more balanced? If you do that every day, the long tail, you will be successful. 100%. That's guaranteed, guys. 100%. Wow, Nikhil. Thank you so much for such a wonderful conversation. It Absolutely. It value left and center. Thank you. <laughs> Pop culture mixed with business. So loved it. Yeah. Thank you so much again, Kiran. That said, we will want to take your leave. Maybe. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This is an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Thank you. Thank you so much again, Nikhil. You are a fun person. I am your host, Kiran Agrar, signing off. You guys take care. Bye, guys.